right, I want to welcome all of our campuses. I want to welcome you guys to the fifth week of our series entitled, Is This the End? Come on, let's just welcome all those that are joining us. So we are in a seven-week series on the book of Revelation. Again, I said week one, I've said it every week. The book of Revelation is actually a book of hope that we can overcome. John, the apostle, is writing this on the Isle of Patmos, the Greek Isle of Patmos. He had been placed there by Caesar Domitian. It's interesting, by a Roman emperor placed him there because of preaching the gospel. He's being persecuted for his faith. He's under pressure. And the book of Revelation is so powerful because here's what it says. Over and over the theme is they overcame, Revelation 12, 11, they overcame by the blood of the Lamb. Everybody say the blood of the Lamb. And by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives even unto the death. The whole theme of the book of Revelation is that the believer in Jesus can overcome. What do we overcome? Anything that comes to us. We can overcome life's circumstances, life's fears, life's anxieties. Today, I want to talk to you about part two, the tribulation. Again, if you weren't here last week, I want to encourage you. Every week, again, you can download our app. You can go back, look at the notes. Uh, you can also download and follow along in the message. If you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to open up to Revelation chapter 17. Revelation 17. I want to say this for all of our guests here. Uh, this study is a little bit more academic uh, than maybe all of the series. This is one where we're going to dive in. It's a little bit more informational than inspirational. It's kind of like a, a series you got to put your thinking cap on. I do want to encourage you as well to go back. And as you go back and listen to it, you'll get a little bit more and a little bit more each week. All right? Today I want to talk to you about the tribulation part two. The tribulation part two. You may not realize this. I think I said this week one and two. But we are seeing, I believe, end time events uh, being fulfilled before our very eyes. People ask me this all the time. Pastor Steve, are we living in the end times? I want to resoundly say this. You are living in your end times. Again, regardless of whether or not Jesus comes back in a year, five years, ten years, a month, today, or 500 years, we only get one shot at this thing called life. Well, what's the value then, Pastor, of teaching on the end times? I believe two things. Number one, it produces an urgency in us to stay prepared, but also an urgency in our hearts to see our loved ones come to Christ. That we don't get lulled asleep by, quote, the cares of life. Remember Jesus talked about that? That we lose sight of the perspective that, that, that in this life, there really is heaven, hell issues and decisions. That people need Christ desperately. And as believers in Jesus, we need to be compelled to share the gospel with them. Now, the reality is, is that I want to say again and again and again, I think that this message and next week's and the next week's, we really begin to see in a real clear way Israel taking center stage. I want to say this to you guys. Israel is, in a sense, I would call it the prophetic, as you look at it, it's the prophetic time clock, of God's prophetic time clock really revolves around the nation of Israel. Everything began there, and everything will end there. 
Jesus went up there, and he will return there. So it's a big deal. The nation of Israel is a really, really big deal. Genesis chapter 12, God promised to Abram, the father of our faith, he promised to give him a land and to make him the father of a people, the children of Israel. Again, as you understand the development of the nation of Israel, this was always a big thing to God. God promised them a land and there were to be a people. Ultimately, heaven and earth will collide. We're going to read about that in two weeks, by the way. Revelation chapter 21 and 22. Ultimately, heaven and earth collide, this is important, in the new Jerusalem right there in Israel. Everything began there. Everything will end there. That's why there's been so much controversy. Have you ever stopped and asked yourself, why is there so much turmoil over this little piece of geography in the Middle East. You ever thought about that before? Well, why Israel? Well, the Bible has a lot to talk about it. If you've watched the news lately, again, over the last even 10 years, you've seen, again, strategic alliances that continue to form around with a one, I would say this, one passion, and that is to eradicate Israel. Look at even the alliance, 2014. I remember seeing this on the news, Russia against Syria, you begin to see these different nations, Iran, that it came, they came together in a historic alliance 2014 with really one stated goal, to annihilate Israel. Has it ever dawned on you guys when we see the nation, for example, of Iran, death to Israel, death to America? Why is that? Well, at this point, and I hope it continues, the reason why that Iran hates us so much is because our long-term long standing with the nation of Israel. So we've got coupled in with that. I, I hope that we stay with that. I believe it's important. It's the only democracy, by the way, in the Middle East. It's interesting that, that there's a, such a hatred for this nation. Why is that? Why is that? I, I never forget a number of years ago, I read this Jewish historian, Daniel Gordis, and he said, if the UN had to vote again on the creation of the Jewish state, unlike November 1947, where it was passed, can a nation be born in a day? That's biblical, by the way. The answer is yes. We saw that. This guy said this. He says, there were, if that same vote was cast today, it would virtually have a 0% chance of passing today. You ought to look at the docket in the UN, which is in the United Nations, in New York, you ought to look at time and time and time again how many things, how many times Israel is voted against today. Why is that? What, what, what is the hatred there? Again, I'm not attempting to get into a political talk. I am suggesting that so much of this revolves around biblical and prophetic history. You're going to see that in just a moment. There's this tense hatred for this nation. I want to say it again. It all began there. Jesus went up on the Mount of Olives there, Acts chapter 1. It all ends there. We're going to see that at the end of the nation. We're going to see that at the end of the message today. This tiny nation called Israel. Today, we also have what I would call front row seats of not just geopolitical rumblings, but also transitions and shakings globally related to so many different things, particularly, and I want to say this, particularly the attack on human identity, globally speaking. 
What is a human being? What is a man? What is a female? There's, there's a global onslaught. There's a shaking and a destabilization conceptually on what even defines a human being. Why is that? I believe it's part of the book of Revelation. I'll show you that in just a moment. The book of Revelation ultimately talks about, when it talks about identity, they're ultimately, remember this, whatever you identify as, ultimately you give your allegiance to. Identity and allegiance. The book of Revelation ultimately comes down to two things. Number one, do you identify with the Lord Jesus Christ or do you identify with the Antichrist? Do you give your allegiance to Jesus Christ or do you give your allegiance to the Antichrist? Ultimately, there's only two camps. Yes, I appreciate national identity. I appreciate the fact gender, I am a man. I appreciate all that. But there is, there is an ultimate identity. Are you a follower of Christ or do you follow the devil? It's real clear. It's real clear in the book of Revelation. In other words, all of this, it's like a, it's coming into a cosmic clash that's played out real time on the earth during the tribulation. Whew, I know this is a lot. I believe the world is currently entering into a rapid destabilization period. Why? Because the man of peace will be revealed. Who's the man of peace? Remember when the Antichrist initially comes, he's a man of peace. When you have destabilization and disillusionment, when somebody steps forward and says they have the answers and they have the ability to bring peace, oh, it's so appealing, isn't it? Can you go ahead and bring my charts up? If again, I'm going to bring up two. Again, if you weren't here, you can go to churchoftheking.com and download our app. If you download our app, all of the notes for my messages are there. Also, these charts are there. Two charts. One is a timeline of future events. I believe we're here right now. The church age. It's an age of grace. People can still get saved, give their hearts to Christ. That's why we need to be compelled to preach Christ to our loved ones, to our family and friends. I believe the next... The next event on God's prophetic time clock, I believe the scripture teaches in the rapture of a church. I believe there's a distinct difference between the rapture and the second coming of Christ. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 Corinthians 15, we talked about it week 1, 2, 3, you'll see that. We talk about the rapture where the church, is, there's a trumpet, there's a sound, Christ comes to the clouds, the church is taken out. Then we enter into what's called three storylines. There's three unique storylines. Number one, what happens? The church is in heaven for, I believe, a literal seven-year period. Now, we experience trials and tribulations in the earth today. But there is a tribulation period, which enters into a three-and-a-half great tribulation. This whole thing, is, I believe, is a literal seven-year period. Now, watch this. First storyline, where is the church? I believe the church is in heaven at what's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. The second storyline, we talked a little bit about it last week, the throne of God. Out of the throne of God, the first thing that comes forth is the seals, first three and a half years. Second three and a half years are the trumpets and the bold judgments. We're going to talk about that today. The third storyline is what is happening on the earth. We're going to talk a lot about the Antichrist today. It's very, very important. Remember what I said last week about the Antichrist. So there's a current destabilization in the earth that comes upon the scene where people are disillusioned. There's a deception. There's a disillusionment. 
and there's a destabilization of human identity. Watch what happens. Then, I believe the church is raptured. The man of peace is revealed. Remember the Antichrist. There's two beasts in the book of Revelation. Number one, a political leader. And number two, a religious leader. Both inspired by hell. They're human beings. This is important. So the Antichrist is a political leader. At first, he comes as a man of peace. To bring peace to the earth because of the chaos. What he does here is he cuts a deal for Israel. I said all this last week. He cuts a deal with Israel in the Middle East to do what? To allow Israel to establish the third temple and to begin the sacrificial system that we find in Leviticus to begin to sacrifice animals unto the Lord. Right here in the middle of Jerusalem. So that begins. He cuts a deal. He also brokers a peace deal, globally speaking, and develops a coalition. We're going to talk about that today. If you'll pull up my next chart, if you can, the tribulation chart. I'm going to talk about, uh, so the first three and a half years, then we're going to jump into the scripture. Am I talking slow enough today? That wasn't resounding. All right, I'll slow it down. <clears throat> I know it's a lot. I know it's a lot. But, and so you're going to have to listen to it again. First three and a half years, remember this. Relative peace in the tribulation. Two witnesses. I talked about that last week. Two witnesses. Who are they? In Jerusalem, preaching. The temple restored, the third temple, the third Jewish temple restored. By the way, you can Google the third temple today online, and you can see they already have plans for that. You can Google that. Not during my preaching, but 144,000 Jews get saved in the first part of the tribulation. They're all martyred at the halfway point, all right, and the release of what's called the sealed judgments. Then we come to the halfway mark. So I'm going to talk about the halfway mark today. Go back to the timeline. Wait, wait, let me stop right here for a second. So today I'm going to talk about the two beasts again. What does it mean when the temple's desecrated? The 144,000 are martyred and the trumpets and bowl. Go back to the timeline one more time. So at this three and a half year mark, the Antichrist, watch this. Remember, he's deceived the whole world. He walks into that third temple in the Holy of Holies and sits down on the throne of God and declares himself to be God. That kicks the earth into what's called the Great Tribulation. All right. Let me just move through this content. So now I want to talk to you about the storyline of the earth. Storyline in heaven, church, marriage, supper of the Lamb. Storyline of the throne of God, first three and a half years. Seal judgments, then trumpet judgments, then bowl judgments. We're going to talk about trumpet and bowl today. All right, here we go. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, let no one deceive you by any means for that day. What day? We're going to talk about it. For that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed. That's the Antichrist. The son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped. Remember, the Antichrist wants to be worshipped like God. So that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself to be God. So, that is called Jesus in the Gospel of Mark, called this the abomination of desolation. Daniel called it the abomination of desolation. John calls it the same thing. What is that? Timeline one more time. The abomination of desolation is the Antichrist going into the temple. Remember, it's all about worship. 
The Antichrist wants to be worshipped. He sits. And remember this. There's coming a day at the return of Christ where Jesus Christ will sit in the temple on the earth and rule and reign with his saints. So this is counterfeit. This is real. This is counterfeit. Does that make sense? That's called the abomination of desolation. When that happens, he breaks covenant with Israel. 144,000 Jews are killed, martyred, and literally all hell breaks loose on the earth. Okay. I don't have time to go through every part of Revelation. It's just a seven-week series. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to highlight some central themes to help put some pieces together. It's going to be very interesting today. I want to talk to you a little bit and give you a historical perspective about what is the harlot Babylon. And you'll see how all this comes to play with the Antichrist, the harlot Babylon. We see in the New Testament, we see specifically in the book of Revelation, John talks about the harlot Babylon. Revelation chapter 17, verse 4. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead, a name was written, Mystery Babylon, the great the mother of harlot and of the abomination of the earth. I saw the woman. John is having a revelation. Remember, Jesus has opened up the curtains, if I can say that. He's, he sees behind the veil and he sees what's happening. Remember, this is apocalyptic. This is coming in the future. John sees this. So it has a connection to the first century, but it's fulfilled in the future. Is it happening within a year or two? I don't know. You make the conclusions. He says, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. Now, this is important. Ancient Jewish writers consistently refer to Rome as the harlot Babylon. Why is that? Initially, it ends up becoming emblematic of the world system. But initially, it's Rome. Remember, Rome was controlling, controlled Israel. Pontius Pilate was a Roman governor. So initially, where does the word harlot Babylon come from? In 70 AD, a general by the name of Titus, who by the way later becomes Caesar Vespian, who is the father of that wicked Caesar who throws John on the Isle of Patmos. Watch this. He comes to crush and destroy Jerusalem in 70 AD. This is important. So the Romans come in 70 AD. They destroy Jerusalem. They destroy the second temple. And by the way, this is, this is interesting. 960 Jews escape. And they actually go to a place called Masada. And by the way, I've been there three times. Can you pull up that picture of Masada? This is the last remnant of Jews. They were scattered all throughout the earth. This is 70 AD. A general, a Roman general who later becomes a Caesar, Caesar Titus, he comes into, he's wicked. He destroys Rome, destroys the temple. Watch this. 960 Jews come. You can look at this. By the way, if you watch a movie called Masada, it's from 1981. So there's 960 Jews. I've been here. I've been up here. 960 Jews come and hide here. And they're led by a guy named Eleazar. And the Romans come with battering rams, 
It took a while, and ultimately, the night before they were able to take over and they would have killed all these Jews, they all commit suicide because they weren't going to allow the Romans to take them over. Now, why is this important? There was such a hatred of the Jews towards Rome because of this. They referred to Rome at this point forward as Harlot Babylon. It was the city of Rome. It later migrates in biblical literature and language to refer to the world system. Initially, it was geographically Rome. It later migrates and it becomes the world system. So that's important. So John, this is important. John is writing this after this happened 20 years ago. Jerusalem was destroyed 20 years before John wrote this. And he sees in the picture, watch this, he sees the world system going through an implosion. This is so powerful. By the way, I want to give you a little foretaste of the end of this and the next week. Just remember this. The devil always overplays his hand. Why am I saying that? When he strikes you, he doesn't realize he's actually setting you up for God's grace to touch you. And instead of that becoming a tombstone, it becomes a stepping stone to greater glory in your life. Just remember that. This is so powerful. Remember this, the devil confuses actually himself. He's the father of lies. So just wait how, this, how, how, how the world system actually turns on itself. I'm going to show you this at the Battle of Armageddon. Now, why is this important? So remember, John is writing in the first century, and these people understood what was going on, but he's also apocalyptic, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writing of things to come. But he uses the analogy of Rome, but that's the world system. In Roman government, they had a senate. The senate constricted the ability for Caesar to do whatever he wanted to do. There was a little bit of a check and balance there. Why is that important? In a similar way. Don't forget this. The Antichrist is a political leader. And he can't at first just do whatever he wants to do. Remember this. He's a political leader that comes to bring peace. And he's negotiating peace treaties and all these different things. By the way, lest you get concerned about any political leader today that's good at negotiation. I remember as a young man, I remember they used to think that Henry Kissinger was the Antichrist. Why? Because of his great diplomacy skills with China and all this. Let me just tell you something. Political leaders can have gifts from God to negotiate peace treaties, and, and, and that's not demonic. What makes it demonic is the Antichrist wants them to worship him. Does everybody understand that? So just because somebody has political diplomacy skills doesn't make them the Antichrist unless they turn around and say, hey, worship me. That's another level. How many would agree with that? Okay, so just understand that. Don't go, oh, my gosh, that's an Antichrist. They did a peace treaty. Well, no, 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 no. Just remember where the end game is here. All right. As part of the coalition, so the Antichrist form. this is so fascinating, the Antichrist forms this coalition. Okay, now, go back to the timeline. So the Antichrist forms this coalition with 10 major leaders and 10 major nations. This is right, go back to my storyline if you get my timeline. So this is important. So there's 10 major, the Bible talks about this. Daniel chapter 10 and 11 talk about this. Book of Revelation talk about it. I'm giving you cliff notes. The problem is with the 10 nations, the Antichrist cuts a deal. Watch this. And he gets frustrated because there's not, there's not the, let me say this, the cooperation that he anticipated. And so he actually 
He actually destroys the coalition and three loyal followers, this is all in the Bible, go with the Antichrist and they, watch this, and they help him set up this and actually move the seat of power from Rome, the world city, to, quote, Jerusalem. That's how, that's how the Antichrist actually ends up in Jerusalem. And there's three people, three leaders of these global coalition that go with him. Now, the king of the north, the king of the south, the king of the east, and the king of the west. Pastor Steve, is the Antichrist alive today, and where does he come from, and I'm curious about all these different things, and let me just say a couple things. I don't know if the Antichrist is alive today. I do know this. Revelation chapter 13 says that the Antichrist comes from the sea, comes from the sea, which is a symbol of the people, and I do know that he becomes the king of the west. Is the, is the United States in the book of Revelation? I can't say, I don't, it's not in the sense, of, it, there is the term the West, the king of the West, that could be Europe, could be the United States, I don't know. Now let me tell you what Bible scholars believe. Bible scholars, so now here's what you've got. You've got four rulers now, this is important. He busts up the coalition because they don't cooperate. And now there's three, the king of the East. Many Bible scholars believe that would be China. The king of the north, many, not all, but many believe, and it's up to you to decide. Many believe the king of the north would be located somewhere around Russia. The king of, uh, of the south would be Egypt and the Arab nations. The king of the west is actually the Antichrist, the west. Is that Europe? Is that the United States? Is that the UK? All I know is this, the Bible is very clear that the Antichrist is a political leader that comes from the west. It's the Bible. The Antichrist at this point in time, now all hell breaks loose. He declares himself to be God. He has a cooperation with the king of the east, the king of the north, watch this, and the king of the south. He's the king of the west. He declares himself to be God. Now from the throne, there's now what's called the trumpet judgments and the bowl judgments. What happens? Okay, here we go. Enters the mark of the beast. Woo. Pastor, I grew up thinking about that, man, the mark of the beast, man. I'd hear all these crazy songs, and there are people talk about what is the mark of the beast. The Antichrist, at this point in time, wants to control the whole world. His true colors are being shown, right? They know he's not a man of peace. He's a dictator now, and he's controlling the whole world. And what he does is he institutes, in order to control the global economy, what he does is he institutes this mark. Revelation chapter 13, verse 16. The Antichrist causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads. Let me pause right there. They are, uh, this, sound, this, would have, this sounded so crazy when I became a Christian 34 years ago. There's technology today they have in Europe where people, they're putting chips into people's arms today. I mean, this is, this is not like, you know, it's like, like 7,000 years from now. I don't know. There's chips today. And that no one may buy or sell except one that has a mark, the name of the beast. Pastor, are you trying to scare us? No, I'm trying to prepare you. I'm trying to get you filled with the Holy Spirit to preach Christ to your neighbors and your loved ones and your friends. 
so that no one could buy or sell except one that has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. So it's on the hand or on the forehead. Remember, it's about allegiance. Remember, you put that, when you do that, it's his mark. It's his mark. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of man, and his number is 666. I want to unpack that. To understand the mark of the beast, we must understand a little bit about a little bit about what's going on here. This is a battle of allegiance, identity, and allegiance. Remember, it's all coming down to identity and allegiance. Identity and allegiance. What you identify, who you identify, is it a follower of Christ or is it a follower of the Antichrist? Are you, are, is your allegiance, allegiance is another word for loyalty. Are you loyal to Christ or are you loyal to the Antichrist? That's, that's what it's all about here. So... So now, now they are controlling the economy. How are you controlling? You can't go, they can't buy or sell. Why? Unless you've got a chip, unless you've got the 666, they identify. Again, this would have sounded so crazy years ago. It doesn't sound as crazy today. How many would say yes to that? This brings us back to the storyline of the throne. Stay with me, because I'm going to get to the Battle of Armageddon. I've heard it's recently in the news. I'm going to talk about what is the Battle of Armageddon. All this, all this connects in there. The storyline of the throne. When the Antichrist commits the abomination of desolation, declared himself to be God in the temple, Christ begins to unleash a torrent of judgments on the earth. The trumpet judgments and the bold judgments. I do not have time to go through those. I did put those on the notes. You'll see all the trumpet judgments. You'll see all of the bold judgments. Pull the storyline, if you can, up. All of these begin right here. You'll see the seals were here, trumpets, bold judgments. They increasingly, increasingly become intense. What's the whole point here? The whole point, by the way, even God's discipline is to bring us to repentance. Just remember that. Revelation chapter 16, 11, they blasphemed the God of heaven because their pains and their sores and did not repent of their deeds. I want to talk to you just for a moment about pain. Never let pain, pain is, pain either can harden you and push you away from God or it can break and soften you and drive you to God. Let your personal pain always drive you to God, not away from God. Remember, God is your solution. God, God is the one that can help you. God is the one that can save you. God is the one that can deliver you. We live in an age of grace right now, meaning that if you're experiencing pain in your personal life right now, don't let that drive you from God. Let that drive you to God. Let that drive you to the Word of God. Let that drive you to the people of God. Don't, don't let it drive you away in disillusionment, disappointment. Disillusionment can create disconnection. Don't let pain drive you away. Let it drive you too. Now, the three kings who were formerly closely aligned with the Antichrist, remember this. Some say it would be China. I don't know. King of the East, though. Somewhere over there in the East. Some would say the king of the North would be Russia. I don't know. But it's somewhere up there North, above this situation. The king of the South, Egypt. Some would say Egypt and the Arab nations. I don't know if it's that. But it's somewhere down there. And, watch this. And the king of the west. So the three kings who were formerly closely aligned with the Antichrist, the king of the north, south, and east, are influenced by three demon spirits during the sixth bold judgment 
And to come and watch this, this is how the devil turns on himself. To come and march on Israel in the city of Jerusalem. So now, the king of the east starts bringing their army to this valley, to Megiddo, right? This is the, 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 there's an actual city, the ancient city of Megiddo, in preparation to march against the Antichrist and Israel. Watch this. So there's a king that comes from the east, and they all come in this valley. This valley, it's where Armageddon's going to be played. I, I have been there. And they come from the south. They march up from the south. They march from the north. And all of this coalescing, they come together where the battle of Armageddon is. And what's interesting, and people don't realize it, is actually the three other kings actually start turning on the Antichrist because of his deception. This is crazy. This is how harlot Babylon implodes. The devil always overplays his hand. Now watch this. I was in. This is crazy. I, I was in Israel right in, the, in this valley in, uh, where the Battle of Armageddon is, where the ancient city of Megiddo was, Armageddo, Megiddo. And, and, and Dr. Jack Hayford, I was, on a, I was on a Bible tour, and he, this is, I'm not making this up, he was literally right there teaching through Revelation, and all of a sudden, we heard, boom, I, I didn't, we literally, all of us, and I'm not joking, him included, we all literally fell to the ground. I thought, oh my gosh, it's like going to happen. I'm here. <laughs> this is amazing. I don't know how, this is crazy. We had a Messianic Jewish guide that explained to us that was actually, it was a sonic boom. The Israeli jet flyers, uh, uh, fighter jets came over the mountain range and has anybody ever heard a sonic boom before? It'll blow you away. The only other time I heard it, I was in St. Francisville deer hunting, and I was in a tree. <laughs> and I heard fighter just, I thought Exxon blew up in Baton Rouge. I literally did. I thought, oh, my gosh. And it was a sonic boom, I found out. It, it literally shakes you. Why am I saying that? I don't know. But anyway, so he, <laughs> he, 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 the point is, Boy, would that have been a powerful service if I kind of like hired a sonic boom over the church during this thing. But here's the point. Here's the point. Listen to me. Here's the point. I'm almost done. Here's the point. This is the moment. All the armies of the earth, they've come together. Watch this. To march on Jerusalem. The Antichrist is about to destroy Jerusalem. Okay. All right, and then watch this. Watch, remember, he's in Jerusalem in the temple. He's about to destroy. And watch what happens. Revelation chapter 19. This is now the second coming of Christ, not the rapture, but this is seven years afterwards. Revelation 9:11. We see Jesus riding in on a white horse of victory. By the way, this white horse is distinctly different than the white or the pale horse we talked about last week. That was a demon spirit. This is sent from God. Watch this. Now I saw. John sees this whole thing. That's why I know this is apocalyptic. This wasn't all fulfilled in the first century. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes way. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his hand were many crowns. And he has a name written that no one knew except himself. Watch this. This is so powerful. And he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. 
And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. By the way, pause. I'm going to talk about next week when Jesus comes up and sets up right here, right? This is about to happen. He sets up his earthly throne in Jerusalem with his people, and we enter into what's called a thousand-year millennial, which means a thousand. I believe in a literal thousand-year reign of Christ. And then Revelation chapter 21, 22, there's a new heavens and a new earth. When Christ comes back with his church, we never leave earth again. But there's a new heaven and a new earth that comes. Now watch this. Watch this. That he should strike the nations and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress and the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe, you know, on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and a Lord of Lords. Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus supernaturally destroys the armies of the earth at Armageddon, and it returns to Jerusalem. Where? Where? Remember, why is Israel so important? Why is Israel so important? He went up there, the divine ascension, Acts chapter 1. He comes back there on the Mount of Olives, Zechariah tells us. Zechariah 14.4 describes the very location. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem. I've been on the Mount of Olives. It faces over the city of Jerusalem. On the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move towards the north, half of it towards the south. By the way, when you include the Kidron Valley, that divides Jerusalem actually into three parts, as prophesied in the seven bold judgments. You can look at the seven bold judgments. I'll put it on the chart. It actually divides in three. It's interesting. Why is this so important? When Jesus comes back, and I say this respectfully, he's not coming back as a suffering servant. He's not. He's coming back as a conquering king. He's coming back as a every knee. Everybody say every knee. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess. What do I want you to know? What I want you to know is there is a battle for human identity right now. Who do you identify? Who are you? Who do you identify with? Identity precedes allegiance. I, I, it's like somebody says, well, I'm an American. That's why we shout at the Olympics. We're excited. Or you see South Africa, they want their soccer team. Who you identify with is who you're loyal to. Does that make sense? In the same way, if, if, but, but so we, we're, we're not, we're, we identify with Christ. That's identity. We identify with Christ, followers of Jesus. So we're loyal to Christ. We don't identify with the world system. We're not a, we don't identify with harlot Babylon. We, identify, we don't identify with the antichrist. We identify with Jesus Christ. And every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess Jesus Christ is Lord. We serve an amazing God who loves us, and, and, and he's coming to get his church. And, he's, and, and there's an opportunity right now. The door is open for people to get saved. The door is open. I, and I know pastors. I mean, I know when you teach us on a usually this is taught in a class somewhere on a Sunday night with 100 hungry people. And I, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to teach you right on Sunday morning. You know why? Because we need to know. The, I, I, I believe this. We need, to, we need to have an urgency in our heart, not only to stay faithful to God, but to see our loved ones come to Christ. To see people come to Christ. 
Everything in this world system is designed to shake you into a, into a lulled state of apathy. Everything in the kingdom of God is to raise you to a place of vigilant faith. To say, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. My question is, do you know Christ? Every one of our locations, those that are joining us online right now, do you know Jesus? Do you know that you know if you die today, you're ready to stand before God? I'm going to ask everybody to bow their heads if they would do that right now. I just sense the Holy Spirit here right now. God loves you. There's an invitation to know Christ. If you say, Pastor, I'm not sure about my relationship with God. I'm not sure if I die today, I'm ready to stand before God. I'm going to pray for you. Say, Pastor, do you pray for me? I need Jesus. I need the blood of Christ to wash me, to cleanse me, to make me new. Maybe you've gone to church before. Maybe you're not where you need to be with God. Maybe you've fallen away. Say, Pastor, I need to rededicate my heart to Christ. I recognize that I'm not where I need to be with God. Here's what the Bible says. Here's the good news. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. That's what happened to me 34 years ago. When I was 19 years old, I gave my heart to Christ, and I was born again. The Spirit of God came to live in my heart. I was forgiven of my sin. Have you trusted Christ? Have you given your heart to Jesus? With everybody's head bowed at every one of our locations, at the count of three, just with a show of hands, say, Pastor, pray for me. I need Christ. If that's you, one, two, three. Quickly, hold your hand up high so I can say, God bless you, sir. God bless you. God bless you, ma'am. And you, God bless you guys over here and every one of you. God bless you up top. God bless you, sir. Yeah. Church family, let's pray with those right now that are trusting Christ. Can, can we do that? Let's pray all together. This is a holy moment each week in our service. Let's just pray together. Say, dear Jesus, I come together today in the mighty name of Jesus. I repent of my sin. I let go of my past, and I turn to you. I turn to the cross. Wash with your blood. Give me a new heart, a new life, a new reason to live. Say this. Say, Jesus, I take my life, and I put it in your hands. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for the sealing work of the Holy Spirit and the word of the living God taking root deep in the hearts of your people. Wow, it has been an amazing time in church together today. If you're here today and you're giving your life to Jesus for the first time, we just want to take a moment and say congratulations. That's a huge deal. The Bible says that you're born again, that your sins are forgiven, that you, that you belong to a new family. You know, I just want to say right now in this moment too, we're there with you. Even though you're watching online, I just want you to know that we're right there with you in this moment. And your next step is to let somebody know. Yes. In fact, you can let someone know right now that you've made that decision. You can either follow the link on the screen or you can click the link in the chat room. And we would love to provide you some resources to help you walk out these next steps of following Jesus. And again, congratulations. This is the best decision you have ever made. And we are so excited for you. And hey, we hope that you will join us again next week as we continue this series, Is This the End? It is going to be powerful. We'll see you guys again next week. Same time, same place. We love you guys. Have a great week.